Hello, divers. Welcome to Mysteries of the Deep. I'm Tom Feeney, podcaster and purveyor of pop culture propaganda, searching beneath the surface of what seems to be the ordinary, the mundane, the pedestrian. This week, we tell the tale of a film director who grew up during the violence of World War II and went on to create some of the most violently charged mainstream movies of the 1980s and 90s and then disappeared from the American motion picture industry. Let's dive into whatever happened to director Paul Verhoeven. Near the end of 2021, a new project was announced in the Hollywood Trade Papers, a film by a director known for his controversial yet highly successful slate of films, a director whose films have had a major influence on popular culture, inspired spirited debate, as well as both critical acclaim and derision. It would be Paul Verhoeven's first American production since directing the 2000 Kevin Bacon-led film Hollow Man. But more on that new project in a little bit. First, some history. Paul Verhoeven was born in Amsterdam in 1938. When he was five years old, the Verhoeven family moved to The Hague, a city on the west coast of the Netherlands. During the German occupation of World War II, The Hague became the center of German rule. The Verhoeven family home was close to a German base, and during Allied bombing runs, their home was nearly destroyed and the family almost killed. In several interviews, Paul Verhoeven recounted horrifying images of burning houses, corpses laying in the streets, and other constant dangers they faced during the occupation. Verhoeven's father was a member of the Dutch resistance during the war, and his experiences influenced Verhoeven's early interest in history and politics. He studied mathematics and physics at the University of Leiden, but later switched to the Netherlands Film Academy, where he graduated in 1963. After working as a documentary filmmaker and television director, Verhoeven made his feature film debut in 1971 with Business is Business, a dark comedy about a corrupt Dutch businessman. He went on to make several successful Dutch films, including Turkish Delight, which became something of a cultural phenomenon in the Netherlands and was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. An ultra-modern love story for adults only. The most mature film ever made. The intimate story of young lovers in a permissive society. I love you. Just what is he doing here, Olga? A girl who defies her parents. And a boy who defies the world share an experience of unforgettable beauty and passionate conflict. I want to see her, and I'm going to see her, even if I have to burn your sword out. A merry-go-round of love and hate. You filthy bitch! 
A fascinating film with provocative and shocking scenes we cannot show you in this trailer. The film everyone's talking about. Verhoeven spent the remainder of the 1970s and early 80s as the Netherlands' premier filmmaker, with well-received movies like Soldier of Orange, The Fourth Man, and Spetters, before helming his first truly international production in 1985. The film was Flesh and Blood, a joint Dutch-Spanish-U.S. production starring Jennifer Jason Leigh and Blade Runner's Rutger Hauer in a gritty, dark and bloody medieval adventure. An age of darkness and war, a time when passion was forged with steel and history was carved in flesh and blood. Getting too old for this game. A medieval epic of awesome savagery and burning passion. Please don't hurt me. Ruga Hauer, Australia's own Tom Burlinson, and Jack Thompson. For the first time on television, a multi-million dollar movie spectacular, Flesh and Blood, 8.30 Sunday on 7. Flesh and Blood received decidedly mixed reviews at the time, with one critic saying, quote, It's a meandering renaissance epic that plays upon the harshness of the period. Unfortunately, it comes off more as a bawdy, lustful adventure that are suited to the kinds of adult movies that air on late-night pay TV channels, end quote. Ouch. Well, the film also pretty much bombed at the box office, only recouping $100,000 of its estimated $6.5 million budget during its U.S. release. Undaunted, Verhoeven moved to the United States so he could better understand American filmmaking and culture. Now, if his next project was a result of that immersion into American culture, I'd say he pretty much got it right. In 1987, Verhoeven teamed up with screenwriter Ed Neumeyer to create the greatest comic book movie of all time that wasn't based on an actual comic book. Ultraviolent incredibly gory, and with humor black as coal. An unsuspecting world was treated to the first appearance of Robocop. He died a hero. Target! And was reborn as Robocop. A one-man police force with the strength of an army. The speed of a laser, the brain of a computer, and a body made of steel. Looking for me? Robocop. Rated R. Starts Friday, July 17th at a theater near you. Oddly, Verhoeven rejected the project twice because he didn't quite get the satirical nature of the content. That was until his wife explained it to him. Now, the film was a financial and, much to people's surprise, a critical success as well. Now, of course, Robocop has gone on to become an iconic figure in the pantheon of great 1980s action films, spawning two theatrical sequels, two animated TV series, a live-action TV series, a live-action miniseries, and a 2014 reboot. And there have been rumors of another sequel called Robocop Returns, this one uh, ignoring everything except the first film, 
much like 2018's Halloween ignored all but the original installment. I'd buy that for a dollar. After the success of Robocop, Verhoeven was a pretty hot ticket. He had his pick of big budget projects to work on. And the one he picked was a doozy. It was based on a 1966 short story by Philip K. Dick, the man behind the concepts that generated films like Blade Runner and Minority Report. The story, called We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, was about a typical office worker who dreams of visiting Mars. Instead, he goes to a memory implant service in order to take a virtual vacation. He discovers that his memory had already been erased and he may actually be a secret agent. Sound familiar? Please fasten your seatbelt. This summer, welcome to Mars. Let Arnold Schwarzenegger, Quaid. You got a lot of nerve showing your face around here. Look who's talking. Show you a side of Mars that no one on Earth has ever seen before. Arnold Schwarzenegger. You think this is the real Quaid? Total Recall. It is. Rated R. Starts Friday, June 1st at a theater near you. The 1990s Total Recall, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sharon Stone, was a film that had been languishing in what they call development hell for decades. No one in Hollywood knew how to crack the story and make a decent movie without spending $100 million. The script alone went through 40 drafts. That's right, 40. And there were a number of actors considered for the leading role of Douglas Quaid, including the late Christopher Reeve, Jeff Bridges, and, believe it or not, Jaws' Richard Dreyfus. Don't wait for me! Now, no studio would put up the money for such an ambitious project, until a certain Austrian superstar got into the mix. With Arnold Schwarzenegger attached to the film, studios were finally willing to put up the money. And it was Arnold himself who hired Verhoeven to direct, after being impressed by his work on Robocop. Now, you could easily write an entire book about the labyrinthine path taken to write, produce, and direct Total Recall. But wait, someone has. This September, Titan Books will release Total Recall, the official story of the film, by author Simon Brond. The book will go into great detail about the production, and I, for one, look forward to reading it. Total Recall was, by any definition, a massive success, and it raked in over $250 million in box office receipts. So once again, Paul Verhoeven was a hot commodity. Now his next project would veer completely away from the sci-fi action genres of his first two movies. You might even say he wanted to, uh, spread out a little? Basic Instinct is a smashing psychological shocker. You like playing games, don't you? It's nice. Not since Fatal Attraction has there been such an electrifying thriller. You're in over your head. Michael Douglas is terrific. But I'm really anyway. And Rolling Stone calls it one charged up erotic thriller. Freeze! Basic Instinct, rated R. 
The thriller Basic Instinct was released into theaters in March of 1992 and created a firestorm of controversy. A homicide detective played by Michael Douglas is investigating a brutal homicide by Ice Pick of an ex-rock star. The prime suspect? Crime novelist Catherine Trammell, whose latest book suspiciously mirrors the crime. She is cold and calculating, but denies any involvement. But she soon gets very involved with the detective himself, and thus begins a twisted tale of sex, deceit, and manipulation. Oh, and ice picks. Can't forget that. Now, as I said, the film sparks significant controversy, especially among gay and lesbian advocacy groups. Concerns were that the film's violence, combined with its sexual content, perpetuated a harmful depiction of women and reinforced misogynistic attitudes. But Basic Instinct has attracted protests from members of the gay community who object and strongly to the film's portrayal of its bisexual and lesbian characters. Fair or not, you decide. But either way, Basic Instinct figures to start a lot of conversations. I've always insisted that the preference of sexuality is not an issue. And in Basic Instinct, it's the same. This is one in a series of continual portrayals of lesbians as villains, as killers of men, as man-hating, as psychopaths. Where else have you ever seen lesbians portrayed in anything other than a negative role? Art or filmmaking is always should be audacious. Despite the criticism, Basic Instinct was a huge hit making over $350 million in sales and becoming the fourth highest grossing film of 1992. It also made an A-lister out of Lee Sharon Stone. For Paul Verhoeven, there was nowhere to go but up, right? Uh, well, maybe not. In fact, Verhoeven's next film was more about getting down. And depending on who you ask, it either accomplished that goal pretty well or downright awfully. It is the winner of eight Golden Raspberry Awards, including Worst Picture of 1995 and Worst Picture of the Decade. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the legendary Showgirls. Would you say yes? You're going to be a big star. Could you say no? You like her? I'll buy her for you. Ask yourself. You're a stripper. Don't you get it? I'm a dancer. What price would you pay for your dream? If someone gets in your way, step on them. It's not about fair. It's about power. It's Friday. See the movie everyone is talking about. Showgirls. Rated MC-17. No children under 17 admitted. Starts Friday. Boy, where to begin here? The sordid story of a young dancer with a past who was played by Saved by the Bells Elizabeth Berkeley, finds herself in Las Vegas as a stripper in a seedy club. She gets her chance to audition for a gig as a real Vegas showgirl. Sounds so wholesome, doesn't it? Not so much. The vibe of the film is so icky that you will feel compelled to shower afterwards. It was actually the first wide theatrical release to receive the dreaded NC-17 rating, which had recently replaced the X rating, which was notorious for being attached only to adult films. 
which meant that no one under 17 could see the film in theaters. Not that it mattered much. The film became nothing more than an easy punchline to everyone from critics to comedians. In recent years, however, many would revisit the film, and now it even has kind of a cult status, uh, going from being touted as a so-bad-it's-good movie to being a not-so-bad-after-all movie, depending on who you talk to. Now, in what seems to be a recurring theme with Verhoeven's Hollywood output, audiences have trouble figuring out what to take seriously and what to perceive as satire. With his next film, that perception would become even more polarizing. Going back to the sci-fi action genre that served him so well, Verhoeven once again teamed up with Robocop screenwriter Ed Neumeier. The pair took a 1959 novel by acclaimed science fiction author and self-described libertarian Robert Heinlein and made it into a $100 million blockbuster movie event. And, depending on who you ask, it's either a brilliant satire on the nature of fascism and an exploration of jingoistic military propaganda, or a lowbrow, gung-ho, violent embracing of Nazi ideology and iconography. That film, of course, is Starship Troopers. They came to our planet. They destroyed our cities. But on November 7th, they'll learn they messed with the wrong species. Starship Troopers opens everywhere Friday. Whether you're a fan or not, whether you think Starship Troopers is blistering satire or dumb, simple-minded cheesiness, it was an incredibly well-made film with special effects that still hold up today and action sequences that have rarely been surpassed since. Unfortunately, the initial negative reactions from both critics and early audiences did not help the film at the box office. In fact, it only grossed slightly more than its production budget, meaning that with advertising and other expenses added in, the movie was considered a financial disappointment. Hindsight has been good to it, however, with many now considering it something of a classic and also somewhat prescient when it comes to the current political climate. Paul Verhoeven's last film before his self-imposed exile from Hollywood featured Peter Quill's favorite actor, Kevin Bacon, in a role audiences seldom saw him portray before, quite literally. In 2000, Bacon and co-star Elizabeth Shue appeared, and disappeared, in the sci-fi thriller Hollow Man. On August 4th, Here we go. what you can't see will terrify you. Hollow Man is one hell of a scary ride with the summer's best special effects. Hollow Man, rated R, opens everywhere Friday. Yes, it was a whole new take on the whole Invisible Man trope. Inspired by the turn-of-the-century novel by H.G. Wells, many motion pictures have used various camera tricks and techniques to simulate invisibility. The first was the classic 1933 Universal monster movie, The Invisible Man, starring Claude Rains. 
There have been many that followed, including The Invisible Man Returns, The Invisible Man Appears, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, and my personal favorite, Abbott and Costello Meet the Invisible Man. After the stress and strain of Starship Troopers, Verhoeven wanted to tackle something more mainstream, something that might reach a wider audience. His take utilized the most sophisticated visual effects available at the time to convince audiences that Kevin Bacon simply wasn't there. He, of course, plays a scientist who develops a serum to make things and people invisible. However, when he's unable to become visible again, he goes insane and does some pretty creepy and horrific things. And as was typical of Verhoeven, he pushed the boundaries of sex and violence, and forcing the audience to share the invisible scientist's voyeuristic and misogynistic point of view. Now, the special effects were resoundingly praised, but not much else. Both critics and many viewers found the film uncomfortable to watch and distasteful. Despite those reactions, however, Hollow Man was a financial success, making over twice its reported $95 million budget. But the film's reaction left Paul Verhoeven wishing he were the one that was invisible. In a 2013 interview, the director stated, quote, I decided after Hollow Man, this is a movie, the first movie that I made that I thought I should not have made. I felt depressed with myself after 2002, end quote. Paul Verhoeven has not made a film for a major American studio since. He returned home to the Netherlands and ultimately made his next film there, 2006's Black Book, a return to his roots. It's a true-to-life wartime drama about a Jewish woman in the Netherlands who becomes a spy for the resistance during World War II. The film was a critical success, appearing on many critics' top 10 lists for 2007. It did not, however, get a large theatrical release here in the United States. Verhoeven directed two more films for the European market. The first, an erotic thriller released in 2016 called L, which was a French-German co-production, and 2021's Benedetta, about a 17th century nun struggling with disturbing visions and forbidden relationships, inside an Italian convent. Like the film before it, it was also critically praised and had a very limited release in America. As I mentioned at the start of this podcast, Paul Verhoeven announced his imminent return to filmmaking in the United States. The project once again reunites him with screenwriter Ed Neumeyer, his former collaborator on Robocop and Starship Troopers. It will not be, however, a return to the sci-fi action genre. The upcoming film is called Young Sinners and is said to be a political thriller about a young White House staffer embroiled in a, quote, web of international intrigue and danger, end quote. They sign me up. I mean, hopefully this means the now 84-year-old auteur will bring back his unique voice and style to American audiences. There is no date yet for when Young Sinners will arrive in theaters, but let's hope when it does, 
we will see a return to form for Paul Verhoeven. heard this podcast check out our past episodes available on almost all podcast providers and subscribe so you don't miss a single one and if you like what you hear write a review we'd love to know what you think or you can drop us a line at the deep dive podcast at gmail.com or on our facebook instagram or twitter feeds now you can find links to those and our awesome t-shirt store in the bio of our instagram page all clips used in this podcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. Mysteries of the Deep is part of the Deep Dive podcast family and a production of Automaton Studios. <laughs> <laughs>